always an exciting day to celebrate salvation, right? And uh, so good to just have the, the visual image of baptistry this morning, uh, of baptism to depict how Jesus rescues us from death to life. And um, church, can, can we just praise the Lord one more time for salvation and rescue? So this is actually what I want to teach about today. Uh, probably every other preacher is talking about the empty tomb, and we'll definitely talk about that. But I want to talk about baptism today. Uh, baptism as a portrait, a, a picture of death to life. I want us to look together specifically at the story when Jesus was baptized. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I have always wondered why in the world Jesus was baptized. And I've always sort of had a question hanging over me about that. And hopefully the Bible will answer that question for us today. Uh, As you know, baptism is a great um, gospel picture for Resurrection Sunday. It shows how the transforming power of the gospel has put to death our old life in sin. Aren't you thankful? But it also shows how that life has been buried, like put away for good. But a new whole, a whole new person has been brought to life in Jesus Christ. That's what the new birth is all about. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. We get to see that picture unfold in baptism. I'm thankful, so thankful for uh, Jordan's story and just the, the joy of celebrating his new life in Jesus. And now hopefully bringing him in and discipling him into the body. So if you've never encountered Jesus like that. If you've never encountered him, then our prayer is that he would draw you and that you would respond in faith. So let me give you a kind of an outline for how I want to uh, speak to us this morning. So I want to give you some, um, you know, landmarks along the way. First thing I want to do is just sort of deal with the question, why was Jesus baptized? We're going to spend kind of the bulk of the message answering that question. Why was Jesus baptized? Then I want us to think through this text and just discover what what does this passage, this story, teach us about Christ himself. So we're going to see some beautiful truths about Jesus. And then thirdly, what hope does he offer? So those three questions. uh, In this place, we want to honor the word of God. And so every time we open uh, this book, we want to stand in honor of Jesus. So would you grab your Bibles and stand with me as we read from Matthew chapter 3. We'll read um, the last bit of this chapter as you're finding your place in Matthew 3. We'll pick up verse 11. What's happening is John the Baptist is baptizing people. He's been preaching that people need to repent To look to God, to honor God, to change their ways, to prepare for the coming Messiah. John the Baptist is is leading a uh, a revival of sorts to repent in in preparation for the coming king. It's it's a great ministry. And uh, we pick up with John in verse 11 explaining what he's doing. And he says, kind of contrasting himself with Jesus, he says... I baptize you with water for repentance. But there is one coming after me who is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. But John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. With whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we open your word together, we know this book is all about you. So this morning, our aim is to discover Christ and the hope that you offer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. So just to refresh the story, Jesus comes to John to be baptized. John's been baptizing people. Uh, Lots of people have been coming. And um, the Bible says, I think it's in verse 6, that they're coming to him confessing their sins. So all kinds of people are coming into the water. And if you can imagine, they, they stand there with John and maybe they say something like, I don't, I'm just, I'm constantly telling lies. I don't know why I, Every time I think, you know, I'm going to tell the truth here, I think about, you know, a lie might get me more, and so I tell lies. But I want all of you to know, I'm done with that life. I want to honor God. I want to repent. And John would then take him and say, okay, well, you're going to repent and follow God, right? And say, yes, baptize him in the baptism of repentance. Maybe someone else would come into the water and say, none of you know this, but I've actually... Cheated on my wife. A great confession comes. And he says, but I, I don't want to be that man. I want to be faithful to my wife. I want to honor her. I want to honor God in my marriage. And John would say, okay, okay. A baptism of repentance. Well, this is an interesting setting for Jesus to walk into the water, isn't it? Because everyone else that's coming to Jesus for baptism is coming to him confessing sin in need of repentance, right? So now it makes a little bit more sense why John would look at Jesus and say, whoa, 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 hey, well, like I need you to baptize me. Not the other way around. Remember, John is the one who would point to Jesus coming and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, how could Jesus take away the sin if he's burdened by it himself? John knew the great worth of Jesus. He knew his own unworthiness. He would tell us that he's unworthy even to tie, untie or carry his sandals. So he pushes away from baptizing Jesus. He says, Lord, you baptize me. But Jesus insists He says, let it be so now, John, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill 
all righteousness. We're going to spend the bulk of our time sort of digging into what did Jesus mean by that? You know, Jesus could have said, hey, John, John, look, I I know you think I'm spotless and perfect, but actually I'm unrighteous too. Like I've got some sin problems. Of course, Jesus didn't say that. It's not true. His statement here is very intentional. And he's giving us a clue as to why it's fitting for him to be baptized. So let me give you just a few possible reasons for why Jesus might be baptized. Why, Why would Jesus be baptized? Well, one... He wants to affirm John's ministry. John is crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. So Jesus wants to come in and affirm and endorse the ministry of this prophet, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the last prophet of the Old Testament, Old Covenant prophets. He's the last prophet to come before the Messiah. So Jesus wants to affirm his ministry. Maybe, and this is certainly true, at his baptism... It's to receive the public endorsement of God the Father and the empowering of God the Holy Spirit. Do you realize in this picture of Jesus' baptism, we see the perfect Holy Trinity in one little moment? God the Son in the water on our behalf. God the Father declaring boldly, this is my Son. And God the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, empowering for the ministry ahead. It's a beautiful portrait. So for sure, that's one of the reasons Jesus is baptized. Thirdly, maybe just to, to set an example for the believer. We, we, we bore witness that that is what we are to do this morning as followers of Jesus Christ. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is going to tell us, I want you to go make disciples. What do you say? Baptizing them, Right. It's a command of Christ. So maybe Jesus is modeling what it looks like to to obey God and to follow him as a believer. You first step of obedience is you get baptized publicly profess your faith. It's not a secret that you're a Christian. For sure, that's one reason. And to be honest, that was probably the biggest reason in my mind for many years. Maybe another reason would be just to, to mark the beginning of his public ministry. This is the moment where uh, Jesus goes guns blazing with ministry from this point forward. Three years of like just healing and preaching and working and doing it all the way to the cross. It's nonstop. So maybe this is a moment just to mark the beginning of his public ministry. But Jesus actually gives us in this text the reason. I just think we miss it many times. This is what Jesus said as to why he was baptized. He said, John, let it be so now. For it is fitting for us to do this. And then he said these words to fulfill all righteousness. So I want to dig into what does that mean? At Jesus baptism, we see some beautiful truths about him. So I want to if you if you're taking notes, I don't know if we printed enough uh, notes for everyone this morning. But if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Here's something we learn and discover about Jesus Christ first. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus said, let it be so now, because it's fitting that we would fulfill all righteousness. So if Jesus was not baptized as a symbol of cleansing from sin through repentance, because Jesus didn't have any sin, he had no need of repentance, remember. 
If that wasn't it for him, then why was he baptized? Well, we have now an idea of fulfillment. And Matthew's gospel is going to be full of this theme. He's constantly going to be telling us that all that we've been expecting, Jesus fulfills. All that you've been looking for, Jesus is the fulfillment. Let me ask you this question. I wonder, don't answer out loud, but I wonder in your mind, if I said to you, what does the word righteous mean? Jesus said in this statement, he said to fulfill all righteousness. I wonder if we really have a grip on that word. What does it mean to be righteous? Let me give you a simple definition. It means to be in right standing with God. I'll do a little quick walk back here. At creation, when God created everything, everything was good. Six days of creation and at the end of every day, the Lord looked at what he had done and said, it is good. God made man and then he made woman and he said, it is very good. Six days of creation and then God rested to reflect on the beauty and the wonder of what he had done and what he had made. And we read in Genesis that Adam and Eve, they walked with God. The Bible tells us that they were enjoying perfect fellowship and relationship with their creator. They walked together in the cool of the day in the garden with God. They were in right standing with their God. But then Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They were deceived by the enemy. They sinned. They fell. And this beautiful, perfect relationship with God is broken. And ever since then, Isaiah tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. Here's the thing. We are not righteous. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says no one is righteous. No, not one. So we have a problem. Our relationship with God is broken by sin. So here's the all important question. What does it take then to be right with God? If Jesus says, I've come and I need to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, and righteousness means to be in right standing with our creator, and we now know that none of us is righteous, the biggest sort of million dollar question is, what does it take to be right with God? Jesus gives us a sobering answer in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 48, he says this, You therefore... Must be perfect as the heavenly Father is perfect. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. For my broken relationship with God to be restored and for me to be made right before Him, to, to be righteous, I need to be perfect? Wait, wait. As perfect as God the Father? This is not good news. This is a standard I could never meet. And now back to the Jordan River. Where John. And everyone else in the room or everyone else at the water 
is admitting their brokenness and need for rescue. Everyone else is confessing sin. And even John is saying, I don't deserve to baptize you, Jesus. You baptize me. Jesus insists on being baptized. And here's why. All that God has prescribed to bridge the gap, the gulf that separates us. All that God has prescribed, all of the old covenant, every bit of this first half of your Bible, all of it is fulfilled in Jesus. All the law with its standards, Jesus met them perfectly. All the prophets who speak of the one to come are talking about this Jesus. And all the rule of the judges and kings that God established, all of them, whether they were good kings or evil kings, they point to the need to a greater king. And what we see through all of Scripture is that it's all a shadow. It's incomplete. It's imperfect. It's looking and longing forward. And we see it's all pointing to a greater prophet, a greater priest, a greater king. Here, Jesus whispers to John. It's okay, John. We need to do this. Because I am the fulfillment. If the standard of righteousness is perfection, then I need a substitute. If I'm called out, if you send me out there to do perfect, fail every time. I fall short every time. And that's why the scripture is true. It says every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the good news, church. Listen. Here's the good news. Even in Jesus' baptism, he's foreshadowing himself as a substitute. The good news is Jesus is our righteous substitute. Jesus was baptized not because he needed cleansing, but because you need cleansing. He's baptized not because he needed to repent, but because we need to repent. Jesus came. And even in this first moment, he makes it clear that he didn't just come to be our example, although that is true. No, he is our substitute. He didn't just come to show us how to save ourselves. He came to save us himself. Second thing I want us to see about Jesus is that Jesus is the beloved son of God. Not just any substitute will do. Do you know that? As much as I love you, I can't sub in your place. As much as I love my children, I cannot be their substitute. As much as your granddaddy or your grandmother loved Jesus, they cannot be your substitute. Every person will be held accountable. There's a warning in this text. John John talks about the one who's coming is greater than I. He's mightier than me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And then he says this. He says he will baptize you with Holy Spirit for the believer and with fire for judgment. In case we didn't catch that, he gives a detail. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. That's his people. But the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. This is a warning. And here's what's intrinsic in the warning is that we are unrighteous. We cannot on our own.
be in the presence of Almighty God. We need a substitute. And Jesus is not only the fulfillment, he is the beloved son of God. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because we are all sons of Adam. You know that? Everyone in this room, we're of the same race, the human race. We have one ultimate father. His name was Adam. And one ultimate mother, her name was Eve. That DNA and the DNA of sin has been passed all the way to each one of us in this room. A son of Adam could not redeem you and I. The Bible teaches in Romans 5 that through Adam's sin, death and condemnation spread to all men. We need a man to save us who's not under the judgment of Adam's sin. The crazy thing is we need a substitute who is one of us and yet not like us. Jesus is not a son of Adam. He's the beloved son of God. And at Jesus' baptism, the audible voice of God is heard. Now, I can't even imagine what that was like, right? There's only a few times in the Bible where we actually hear the voice of God from heaven. And this is one of those moments. And it's a thundering, I would imagine, voice. But God speaks to endorse Jesus, not as a son of his creation, but as a son of himself. Matthew's gospel opens with the miraculous account of Jesus' birth. He was born to a virgin girl, Mary, whose fiance, Joseph, was really upset about this pregnancy, if you remember. It was kind of a, a, a broken situation because when we first meet Joseph, Joseph, we see that he's confused and convinced that Mary has slept with another man. He knows this baby's not his. And so she must have been with someone else. So Joseph has it in mind to divorce Mary. They're, they're engaged to be married. They've not been married yet. They're engaged to be married. He's got it in his mind that he's just going to quietly, respectfully put her aside through divorce. Matthew is, uh, is kind of like um, a really bad Mari Povich episode. Joseph, you're not the father. <laughs> it's one of those moments, right? Um, but then an angel comes to Joseph and says, oh, you're not the father. God is. And the angel says to Joseph, you are to call his name Jesus. That's what a father does. So the angel's telling Joseph, you're going to play the role of dad here. Even though you're not dad, you're going to play the role of dad. You call him Jesus and I love this. For he will save his people from their sins. This man came not from any other man's loins, right? He came from God himself and he came for the purpose to save us from our sin. And he's the only one who can do it. So who is the father? Joseph's not the father. Who's the father? Well, Jesus knew at 12 years old, he was lost in Jerusalem. His parents sort of lost him. Um, I've got five children. I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> We've lost a few here and there. But um, Mary and Joseph were missing Jesus. And when they finally found him, he was in the temple, 12 years old, 
teaching Jewish teachers their own law. Mary finds him, Jesus, where have you been? Where have you been? And I imagine he looks quietly back at his mother and says, don't, don't you know that I need to be in my father's house? Jesus knew. No surprise to him. And here at his baptism, God the Father lays public claim on this man, Jesus. This, don't be confused, world. He's not an ordinary man. This is my beloved son. So Jesus came as a man, the perfect son of God. He is the God man and he came to be our substitute. Third truth I want us to see about Jesus is that he fully pleases the father. I love what God says from heaven. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus fully pleases the Father. I don't know about you, but uh, I grew up with three brothers and uh, a lot of my growing up days, even some days today, I spend them trying to make my daddy proud. Anybody know what I mean? It's just it's something, something in me wants to make dad proud. That's not wrong, but I don't think that's exactly what's meant here. When the Bible says that Jesus fully pleased the Father, it's much more than just making God proud. So how does the Son please the Father? Well, the prophet Isaiah told us how it was going to be. In Isaiah 53.10, it says this, It pleased the Lord to crush Him. I'm telling you, as a dad, I, I, I don't get that. I can't understand it. But the Father, the Heavenly Father, was satisfied, pleased to crush His own Son. Here's what we need to take away. Jesus is the perfect and complete sacrifice for guilt. The perfect and complete Sacrifice for guilt. Ultimately, Jesus came to be our substitute to die in our place. So now, back at the Jordan River, at Jesus' baptism, what we're getting is a glimpse of this. It's a glimpse. Just like Jesus is going to radically change the Lord's Supper. Remember, he's eating with his guys and he's teaching them about the the bread and and the wine. And he says to them, this... As he breaks the bread, he says, this is now my body. And this drink, no longer does it represent the, the blood of the lamb from freedom from uh, Egypt, slavery. No, no, no. This blood, this wine represents my blood for greater freedom, freedom from sin. So just as Jesus is changing the symbols at the Lord's Supper, He's now changing the symbols at baptism. It's no longer a go under the water and be cleansed, so a washing, an external sort of wash that dirt off of me, repentance. No, it's an inside death to the old and life to the new. And Jesus is saying, what you need is not just a washing. You need to die and be made new. And that's the beautiful picture of baptism is that in Christ we are buried with Him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. 
So Jesus, I want us to really just grip a hold of these truths. Jesus identifies with sinners. To the watching crowd, Jesus was just another sinner in the water. Who needed to be baptized for repentance. And he willingly accepted that false association. Many in the crowd must have been saying, I wonder what he did. Wonder, wonder what's going on with him. And Jesus did not go, hey, just so everybody knows, I'm actually not a sinner. Just to make that clear. All right, John, let's do this. No, Jesus willingly identifies with sinners. Now, what does that point us to? When Jesus stood before Pilate and for his many accusers, he was silent. He did not defend himself. He remained silent when falsely accused. His life was traded for the release of Barabbas. And he allowed himself to be viewed as worse than a murdering insurrectionist. The king of kings, the Lord of glory is hung on a cross between two thieves, naked, in shame. He identifies with sinners. And that's good news, because I am one. And I need him to identify with me in that way. He humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. Jesus suffers and dies for others' sin. Listen, he walked into the water that day worthy. There was no one else like him walking into that water. But he assumed the posture of the sinful and needy. And he went under that water on our behalf, just like he would go into the grave on our behalf. He had no need of cleansing or repentance, but we do. And similarly, he bore our sins, not his own. Listen to the great exchange that the gospel of Jesus offers to sinners. Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus suffers and dies for others' Sins, not his own. And it's in this way that Jesus saves any sinner who will trust in him. Praise God. That's good news, isn't it? Jesus will save anyone who will trust in him. Believer, we are baptized into Jesus Christ, into Christ, into his death. We are freed from sin. And into his life, we live with him forevermore. We've read uh, earlier, Tucker read the passage from Romans 6, 4 through 8. I won't read it again, but I want to tell you quickly a few beautiful truths from it. Ready? 
Paul says we too can walk in newness of life. Here's what that means. Your yesterdays don't have to define your tomorrow. In Jesus, you can be different. I thank God I'm not who I was. But let me tell you the secret. Jesus. He's the only thing that's made the difference. Paul says we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. The beautiful truth, difficulty in this life and even death cannot steal your joy as a believer. Cannot steal your joy. What do you have to fear? You die, you're with Christ. It's beautiful. Thirdly, we are set free from our slavery to sin. The apostle writes. So here's the truth, church and unbeliever listening today. You're not just forgiven in Christ, not just forgiven of the guilt of your sin. No, you're you're set free from the power of your sin. That's the beautiful thing is that in the gospel of Jesus, he empowers you to be new. Sin no longer has a hold on you. You are free in Christ. And lastly, from Romans 6, he says that we will live with him. Make no mistake. Jesus is the greatest prize of salvation. We get him. We get Christ. He paid the price and he's the prize. I love that line, brother. You get to be with God. All that Adam and Eve failed to do, Jesus succeeded to do. What we lost in the garden, we gained at the cross. You get to be with God forever in his presence as his family. So I say again, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can save any of us. No matter what you've done, you're not too far from the grace of God. He alone has the power to set you free from your sinful self and to bring to life a whole new person. Jesus doesn't just make you better. He makes you new. This is the good news of the gospel. We celebrate it through baptism today. But in this picture, we see the power of Jesus to take a wretched sinner like me and put to death that old man and bring to life a child of God. May it be true of you.